following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Did you came for Bruce Fong? I am Bruce Fong the fourth today. And, and just as you know, it's, uh, every iteration of a copy is less like the original. I just want you to know it would take at least four clonings to destroy the, the genius and the spirit of Bruce Fong. But I've done it, and here I am. So um, you also might not know something that in 1905, a man published a paper that would change science forever. His name was Albert Einstein, and he published his paper on the theory of relativity, E equals MC squared. And since then, a lot of people will say, well, you know, truth is what? Relative. And we'll hear that. That wasn't what Albert Einstein intended, but a lot of people have taken it as that. As a Christian, I want to say that in many ways I do believe ultimate reality is relative. That as we rightly relate to God, we are actually relating rightly to truth, and we actually get to know the truth And that as we find meaning, we don't find meaning in isolation. We find meaning as we relate to the one who made us and we relate to those, to his creation well, that we find our meaning also. And the most true thing for me is that the greatest highs, and I want you to think of your life, the greatest blessings in my life have come when I'm related well to other people, whether that's my wife or family, whether that's in a, in a work, in a job, and I'm, I'm connecting on a team athletically or, you know, just here's a project I'm working on and the success of that team is the greatest joy that we have. But having gone through a broken engagement where my fiance was unfaithful, not once, not twice, but three times, congratulations, Eric, you get the sucker of the year award, you know, going through that, uh, going through a friendship that I, I came to faith in Christ and my friend didn't. And then I remember in high school sitting down in the bathroom and written up on the wall and his handwriting is just a, a line of expletives with my name at the end of it. And I sat there, and here I'm a junior in high school. I'm crying like a kindergarten kid. The greatest hurt in my life hasn't come always from me. It's come when relationships aren't right. And yet we live in a culture that celebrates something. And it celebrates men like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and also Warren Buffett. That these men are celebrated as self-made success. That these are the guys that are held up in business school. As, you know, if I could be more like that, if I could have the best idea or be the best team leader, that, that somehow there I am going to have success. But that's not the only place. I love it. I grew up, obviously, in the 70s and the 80s. And so Conan and Rocky and, yes, my all-time favorite hero, Rambo, that, that one man could do what our nation alone couldn't do, that one man could liberate an entire nation and set people free, or more recently with the new bond and Jason Bourne, that we have gotten into, as a, as a media, we have celebrated that rugged individual. But it's not just in the news, and it's not just Hollywood, but as then we turn our eyes to sports. It's, it's the Tiger Woods, it's the Michael Phelps, it's those individual athletic accomplishments that we see, we celebrate, and if you ask any kid in their sport, they're going to tell you who they would like to be, right? 
And so I want us for a minute to think about that, that this is the culture in which we live. That if we don't do something different, we will actually be carried about in the current of our culture. But I have a question for you. As you think about Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player, and I know if, if you're older than me, you're going to say it was Wilt Chamberlain and all that. Yeah, I just think Jordan was all around like the greatest basketball player ever. Look at these stats. This is over his lifetime, and those got lower because he came back from retirement 32 times. If he didn't come back from retirement 32 times, those numbers would have been higher. 30.1 points per game, 6.2 rebounds per game, 5.3 assists per game, more than a steal a game, high percentages, unbelievable. And then the question is asked, how many games did he win by himself? And of course, the answer would be zero. Not a zilch. None. He didn't. And why is that? Basketball is a team sport. Absolutely. He didn't begin to win until a guy named Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman. And he had these solid role-playing team player guys. Or Tiger Woods. His dad's investment in him from the time he was a little kid on and his coach, Butch Harmon. Butch crafted his stroke. When he fired Butch, he went down, and he went down in more than one way. And this isn't a throw stones at Tiger moment. It's just to say he wasn't that individual that stood there. That each of us in some way stand on the shoulders of other men and other women that have gone before us or maybe that are in our life right now. And so I want to call that the myth of the self-made man. But in America today, we celebrate the Lone Ranger and the rugged individual and the self-made man. And yet history will tell us something different. History has been written and stories have also been celebrated about groups of men and groups of women. And today, as we think about it, you know, the men's ministry at our church is called the Band of Brothers. And there's a rich history there all the way back to the Battle of Agincourt. It's this amazing, you know, amazing battle. And there was a great speech given. But then more familiar to us from the Band of Brothers movie series that came out on HBO, the miniseries that was there, you have on D-Day, you have the company of men that go out. Easy company. They were told there was one nest, one gun that they were going to have to take out through the hedgerows. And they arrive... And they discover that it's not just one, but it's four, and it's not a handful of Germans, it's almost a battalion, and that they find themselves together, overwhelmed, and yet, these, these young men, fighting together, many fell, but they were the tip of the spear that allowed the D-Day invasion to succeed. Without them, without their teamwork, without their heroism, I don't know what would have happened. We don't know what flag would fly over Europe today. We really don't. But I know this, that history was changed by a band of brothers who had something in mind far greater than individual statistics, individual glory, individual titles. And I'm going to say that more today than ever before that we are needing and we are praying. And Dr. Fong and I, as we talked about this, say, what do we want in here? What do we want for you? What do we want in our life? What do we want for the next generation of men and women? We desire and we are praying for and we will labor for men that will stand up and pour their life out. 
to advance the cause of Christ. And so today we're going to actually look at some examples of that in Scripture. And we're going to look at some examples and benefits of that. And then we're going to look at a mission that God gave us. It's very, very, very clear. Before we do, I want to give one example from nature. The redwood trees. I got to go in 1995 to a friend's wedding. And it was up in Redding, California. And we were up there and we were close enough that I was like, you're not going to get that close to the redwoods and not go and see them. It's the story of myth almost. I couldn't imagine growing up in Tennessee, a tree I could drive my car through. In Tennessee, we had trees growing up in our vehicle sometimes because the vehicle was on blocks and it just sort of grew in it. I'd seen that. But in Tennessee, we didn't have trees that we could drive our car through. We, we sometimes drove into them, but not through them, you know. And yet here are the redwoods, hundreds of feet high. And what was their secret? Their roots only go four to six feet deep. It was because under the surface was a weaving and an interconnectedness of each and every tree together. That together... They could actually stand up to the winds and the storms and the centuries. But individually, as magnificent as they are, a 10 mile an hour breeze would blow one of them over. And yet I believe that God gives us metaphors. He gives us snapshots of how He designed us to be. In the same way that when Copernicus looked and he saw and he was like, Hey, I don't think everything goes around the earth because these orbits don't look like they should if it went around the earth. There's this elliptical pattern that seems to indicate something else is going on. And so all of a sudden we go from a, a geocentric to heliocentric universe. And we realize, or, or solar system, and we realize that that's a snapshot. That our life was meant to go around the sun. And that theologically we see that in scripture, that our life is meant to orbit not around ourselves. Not even around something really noble. More than all of it, it's to go around Christ. That Christ is the center of it all. If you want a great book, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, after his death, his students took his, his Christology class, his class about Christ, and they combined all of their notes and put it together, and they published it ten years after his death. It's called Christ the Center. It's not long, it's profound. It's a man-sized book. It's like, you know, it's, you can read it. I can read it. it. It's a huge impact. Christ at the center. So let's shift our attention to a moment to scriptures. In Exodus 17, 10 through 13, we encounter Moses, Aaron, Hur, and Joshua. And we encounter them at a time of great battle and conquest going on. And it says, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses... And Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. Now it looks like they're abandoning Joshua here. You know, it's like, wait a minute, they're all going out. And then three guys peel back and Joshua actually is standing out onto the field. It says, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Problem. If you've ever been in a worship song and they repeat the chorus for the 25th time and maybe you've lifted your hands up, you might notice that your shoulders start burning. Well, at least mine start burning. And then I quit worshiping and I start praying, 
Lord, let the song end. Don't let them, don't let them pray. I mean, don't let them sing one more chorus. Let's land the plane on this song. Okay, it's just a confession of a pastor. All right, maybe you're not there. But, that's right. <laughs> but, here, there's a problem. Moses' hands go up, they win. He gets tired, they go down. Verse 12, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. I don't know what that did for his arms, but apparently that was, that was their first wave of attack there on the problem. Then it says, Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. When, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone. Am I, is that the same thing twice? Yep. That's classy. All right. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Together in Scripture, we see that men given together to the same mission at the same time, interconnected, interdependent, under the banner of Christ, under the banner of Yahweh, were victorious against an army. We see Jonathan and David. Jonathan, son of Saul. Guess who was going to be king next? Jonathan. Guess who was a mighty warrior? Jonathan. I mean, four chapters before the, what we're getting ready to look at, Jonathan and his armor bearer scale up a rock, get to the top, and the two of them together attack an entire army of Philistines and conquer them because he said that God was able to deliver them even though they were outnumbered. Jonathan, royal lineage. Jonathan, courageous warrior. Jonathan, faithful to God. Right? There's a problem, though. There's a threat to his ascending the throne by the name of David. Don't think he's ignorant of it. He knows it. David was anointed already. And here we have, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Are you all hearing a, re a repeat here? Loving another man as you love yourself. Loving another man as you love yourself. Brotherhood. Strength. Redwood trees. Easy company. Band of brothers. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. He gave every semblance of his birthright. If you read two chapters earlier in 1 Samuel 15, the robe represented the throne. Think about Joseph and what did he have? He had a robe of many colors. And guess what? He was the youngest. And guess what it did to his older brothers? They were furious. And guess what? They wanted to kill him over it. Jonathan, knowing full well that if I do what I can do and keep David at bay, this robe means I get the throne. 
But even at the cost of his own future, he put something greater than himself. He put the anointing of God over his own monetary success, his own reputation. He did it. Let me ask you this. Who would you sacrifice for? Who would you? It's not flesh and blood of your family. Who would you sacrifice for? Who would I sacrifice for? Who would I open up my wallet for? What man in my life would I say, God, I'm going to partner with them? Their success, their well-being, their spiritual growth, the vision, God, you have for their life, I commit myself to that. How many of y'all would like a friend like that? If you're not raising your hand, then let's look at some other people here. Christ sent out His disciples in pairs. Why? Why? Because He knew that two would be greater than one. He knew we need encouragement. He knew we needed protection. He knew we needed that. That we need accountability. Imagine going to a strange town. Guess who the first person to probably engage a stranger walking into a town in those days would be? A prostitute? Think Jesus wasn't approached? Yes, He was. Do you think the disciples going out would not be approached? Oh, they would be approached. Just as men throughout history have hunted and gathered food, so have women. They just did it in different ways. So Jesus sends them out in pairs. Think about the night, the last night in the garden. What does He do? He gathers His, his inner circle around Him and He says, Play, Please, pray. Stay awake and pray. And He calls them around Himself. Think about Paul and all the partners in ministry. I mean, you got John Mark, and you got Timothy, and you got Apollos, and you got Barnabas and Priscilla and Aquila, and on and on and on. Just read his letters. Read his letters and count the names. Yes, he, some of them are, he's calling people out and he's sort of spanking them. Other people, he's just saying, Lord, just, just thank you so much for their partnership in the gospel from this day forward. Thank you and follow their leadership, right? So let's turn to some scriptures and look at truths about brotherhood. First, Genesis 2.18. It's just a, almost a direct quote in Genesis. In creation, this is why God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not. It's part of God's design and will for the church. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4. I'm teaching a life Bible study class on 9.15 on Sunday mornings for young married couples that have been sort of married, you know, between a year to three years or so. And we're going through the book of Ephesians right now. And it is powerful. And I can't wait to get to Ephesians 4. We're, we're on verses 11 through 20 right now in chapter 2. But when we get to chapter 4, I'm fired up. Because this truth is going to be spotlighted so big and so grand by Paul. It's God's MO. It's His sort of crazy strategy. Not the self-made man. Not the rugged individual. No, that God sovereignly places gifts in believers' lives 
for the advancement and the edification or the encouragement or the building up of the other men and the other women in the body of Christ. Does that make sense? I mean, that's His design for the church. It's why our church on our website, if you go there, there's a thing called the place. In Milestones in the Spring, there's going to be a class called Place, P-L-A-C-E. Malcolm Marshall leads it. We want every member. It's, we don't charge you. We get charged so that you don't get charged because we want everyone to take it. You don't have to be a member to take it. So if you're a member of another church, you can go on the website and type in Place and you'll find it. You can take your spiritual gifts, your personalities, your interests, your experiences, all of those... And it will, it will point you to some ministries you can be involved in. Think about Christ's prayer for His disciples. In John 17, we call it the high priestly prayer. It's the longest prayer of Christ that we're given. It reveals His heart. It reveals His vision for this idea. And at the very end of it, He, he prays for Himself. Then He prays for His flesh and blood disciples, right? And then He prays for those who will believe in Him through their testimony. That would be you and me. That's us. That's my 10-year-old son who's prayed to receive Christ to say, I put my whole trust in Christ. That's, that's going to be my grandkids down the road, Lord willing, that they'll surrender their heart. It's the same prayer. He was praying for them too. He says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one. This isn't a mystical, new age, spiritual oneness. He's not... We're holding hands and we're doing some meditation. That's not what he has in mind here. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me and loved them. My life, Will Standifer and Clark Sehan and Davies Owens and Don Munton and Jim Jones and other other men. I mean, just on and on and on. If you took them out of my life, I don't know who I'd be today. But I'll say this, I wouldn't be the man I am. I wouldn't. I wouldn't love Christ as much as I do without them. That my life has been changed and my life has been made better and my life has been sharpened through friendships with other godly men. It's not that talking about college football is wrong. It's not that talking about politics or the economy or the latest, greatest gadget is wrong. I just know that we will gravitate to those conversations. Am I not right? We will gravitate to that when we get together. And we will miss the greater yes. We will miss what God has intended us to be about which is being a band of brothers, which is being a, a group of men committed to someone, Jesus Christ, greater than ourselves, being mobilized and gifted by Him to spread His message and spread His word. If you read 1 John three fourteen through 20, and I'm going to need to speed it up, but this brotherhood is a product of Jesus' sacrifice but Him dying on the cross doesn't make fellowship happen. It doesn't make brotherhood happen any more than me adopting two kids and letting them live 
in their own way and never bringing them together and never letting them learn to argue and then make up and then work together on projects. It, it, they, won't, they won't forge brotherhood. They can be brothers, but they won't forge brotherhood. You know what I'm talking about, right? It doesn't happen instinctively in the human soul. We're selfish. It doesn't happen. It's Christ's sacrifice and our sacrifice. We know, this is verse 14 of 1 John 3. If you've got it open, I'd underline that. We know that we have passed from death to life. In other words, we know we have eternal life. Well, Eric, I, I don't know if I do. You know, we know we have passed from death to life. How? Because we're rugged individuals disconnected from each other. That we've made it on our own and we're really strong, we're really tough, we work really hard and we don't let anyone into our lives. No. We know that we have eternal life because we love our brothers. Anyone who doesn't love remains in death. Do you not hear that? I mean, that should... That should bring it to us in a new level. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. So we get it. We're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to be there and love each other. But now we get a snapshot of what that looks like. And that's Christ on the cross laying down his life. Guess what? We're called to follow suit. Laying down our lives for each other. Physically? Yes. Financially? Yes. Time? Well, what else is life? Yes. Prayers? Yes. Well, Eric, you don't understand. Time is tight for us. We're really, really busy. I'm like, you know, how long does it take to pray for a brother? How long? I don't know. Not a lot. Well, we, we would give, but you know we don't have a lot of money and things are tight. Well, guess what? You know my kids go over to the faith center and they they sort cans and food on Thursdays. How much money does that take? What fifty cents of gas, right? There's lots of ways we give to each other. My life has been changed not because people have given me monetarily. It's because I've had a guy call me after that broken engagement to say, "Hey, Eric, God is going to redeem all of this." And I'm hurting for you, but it's okay. God is going to carry you through this. And it's all right if you cry right now. It's okay if you're angry. It's okay that you've cussed right now. Because I was. And I was angry. I was hurt. But God came to me when I cried out. I sat in my car. I banged on my wheel. I was like, God, if you don't comfort me, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is before cell phones. And I walk inside my house, the phone rings, and I pick it up, and it's a friend named Will Blaine. And he was God's mouthpiece. Six months later, I get a phone call. And I'd found out about a ministry called Dulos Ministries in Branson, Missouri. And I was getting ready to graduate in six months from seminary. And I get a phone call from a guy that answers my questions about Dulos Ministries. And at the end of it, this guy says, hey, can I pray for you? I was like, yes. And I just lay it out there. And that guy prays for me on the phone right then and right there. I just cry. Guy's name is Don Mutton, who's our singles pastor here. He's the best singles pastor in the whole country, probably the whole world. 
great, great guy. He lives this out. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. I'm going to speed up here. I apologize. We're, we're, we're cranked up here. Let me give you some benefits. First, strength and protection. This is the easiest one to understand for me. You know, Solomon sort of grabs it and gets it and lays it out in a really cool way. In Ecclesiastes 4, he says, The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is, is not quickly broken. It's used a lot for marriage. Man, it's used for all of life. And when I was a little kid growing up watching the Mutual of Omaha's, anyone over 40? Wild Kingdom with... Marlon Perkins, right? I learned a Swahili word for an antelope that gets cut off from the herd. Dinner. I learned that word. And we see it in Scripture that David is alone after Jonathan dies. David's alone on top of the roof. And instead of being with other men, he's alone. And that alters the entire history of Israel. A man alone is in the danger zone. Write that down. A man alone is in the danger zone. Isolation is the enemy's first plan of attack for you and for me. That if you're not connected with other men, I don't care how smart you are, how rich you are, if you think all those things matter, read the headlines over the last three months and you'll see people in positions of power, influence, and notoriety doing some of the most idiotic, stupid things that are shipwrecking lives. I can get an amen on that, right? There but the grace of God go I or you. I'm not better, and I know it, and I need men in my life. Let's not be arrogant and think that we don't. Number two, growth and maturity come from having godly men. Now, I'd say this, I said godly men, it depends on who you keep company with. If all your friends are the same friends from the fraternity that you were getting drunk with, and they haven't given their life to Christ, although they may be a great mission field for you, and, oh, honey, I'm just going fishing with the boys, or I'm going hunting this weekend, but there's not going to be one sane word, and you know in your heart there's no intention of sharing Christ, and there's no ministry, and when you're with them, the conversation pulls you into it. You don't pull it up. It pulls you down. You all know what I'm talking about. And let's not kid ourselves. Because if that's the case, then we're not going to have the purity and the freedom. The idea, the enemy's MO is isolate you, and then it's entangle you, and then it's destroy you. Isolation, entanglement, destruction. Most of the addictions that people will struggle with, and I got into pornography as a, as a young kid, fourth grader, before the internet, brought it into my marriage, and then three years, two and a half years into my marriage, my wife finds out about it, and then we journeyed out of that, praise God, and it was not by me getting alone, it was by me getting together with other men, this magical word, accountability, this amazing concept, friendship, transparency, authenticity, commitment, 
challenging each other. That as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Do you have that? Do you need that? There will never be a day in your life and there will never be a day in my life that I graduate from the school of the body of Christ. I used to believe that, Lord, if I just love you enough, man, just your Bible and me, it's it. I don't need the church and I don't need anybody else. That was me in college. And now I know stupidity, arrogance, pride. I need other godly men. And if I don't let them in and I'm not willing to give it, I won't be who He intended me to be. Read Ephesians 2.10. It says that He has preordained good deeds for us. He's, God has created good deeds. We should walk in them. I'll never walk in them. And you'll never walk in them either. But hear this, Christ has paid your price for your sin, right? And Christ has paid my price for my sin. But guess what? Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, here's our ministry. Think about this. You who are spiritual should do what? Restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. We have a ministry of restoring each other. Jesus didn't take it away from us. He gave it to us. Lazarus gets resurrected, right? He says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus is coming out. And what does Jesus do? He commands the people, he says, unwrap him from his grave clothes. Salvation is of the Lord. Sanctification is of the body of Christ. Unbind one another. Help each other leave the old and walk into the new Accountability, encouragement, friendship, fellowship, mission, brotherhood. That is God's intended plan. And the fourth benefit is an outcropping of all of those. If that's happening, then love and good deeds will flow from our life. Love and good deeds. In fact, Hebrews 10.4 says it this way, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, guess what? The day is still approaching. It's probably more true today and more needed today than it was the day it was written. Why? Because we're closer to the day. Do you, if you don't hear, they talk about women's clocks ticking at 30 to get married and have a family. Dude, our clock should be ticking about making disciples. Our clock should be ticking about sharing Christ. Our clock should be ticking about making an impact in this world. And if our clock's not ticking, then what does God have to do to wake us up? What? 
Another tragedy? I mean, do you like... Do you like when evil is called good and good is called evil? Because God said no. He brought judgment on Israel for that very same thing. Paul in Romans says the government exists to reward good and restrain evil. And we do the opposite of that. This isn't a political thing. This is a kingdom of God thing. This is a get up, get active It's not okay. Jesus doesn't want us to be good, quiet men that my spiritual service to you, God, is driving the minivan to the church and sitting down quietly and singing when I'm supposed to sing. My spiritual calling from God isn't even to throw 50 bucks in the plate or 20% of my income into the plate. He didn't need it. When I do that in the plate, the Latin for that is pars pro toto, part for the whole. I put in a tithe to say that that represents everything, God, everything. And symbolic of saying, I'm putting myself in that plate. I'm putting myself. God has something far greater in mind, far more. And it's the mission that He has given us. It's the mission, the ministry of reconciliation. All of these benefits don't matter. They don't matter if we are not on that mission today. If you guys drove, how many of you drove on I-10 today? 610, keep your hands up. 59, 45, 290. Eric, I just live in a little street over there. I just walked over here. Well, hey, if you made it here alive today, God wasn't surprised. He wasn't shocked. And guess what? If He wanted you in heaven right now, guess where you would be? In heaven. That you woke up this morning, that I woke up this morning, even though it was way too early, and get an amen on that, but if you woke up today, it's because God has a mission for you. Period. You. And I'm going to articulate it, that He has a mission for us, because we're all here too. There is something that will happen and only happen if we step to the plate together. If we get off our soft, comfortable rear ends, to use a nice expression, and stand up and take the next obedient step for God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, let me just fly through this. Uh, This is it. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to Himself. I'm going to jump forward here. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're His ambassadors. He's making His appeal through us. And then hear that. We implore you on Christ's behalf. You are God's PR firm. You are God's ambassador. You are the field marshal. You are the front line. You are the architect. You're all of it. You're it. You, the body of Christ. Not you individually. I'm talking to us. The last picture was Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They decided when they, before they went into the Holy Land, they were like, well, you know, this land is absolutely fine on the east side of the Jordan. 
it, it's really much better than it was in Egypt. So we're going to grab this land if that's okay. You want the land? Yeah, we, we really would like this land. Sure, that's your inheritance, that's your land. But then guess what happened? Joshua looks at them and he says to them in verses 14 through 21, You, all the fighting men, will not stay here. You will go in until every other tribe possesses the land that I am giving to them. They didn't get peace until every man had peace. Until every man knew the promised land of God. They didn't start out getting it. I think they were very selfish initially. We'll just take it, you know, uh, bird in the hands worth two in the bush. We'll take the land east side of the Jordan. They settled for far less than what God had for them, but they answered the call of Joshua. And maybe we've settled in our life, and maybe you're like, Eric, I've settled. But I'm like, you know what? It's never too late to answer the call of God. It's never too late to live life, to make an influence and an impact in anyone else. I mean, here it is. We are called to fight not only for our own lives, but also for other men's salvation and sanctification. It's easy in our culture, as we saw at the very beginning, to isolate ourselves, to put our head down, to keep our hands beside our face, look straight ahead and just make it, just to finish. I just made it today. It's easy. The problem is, it leads to isolation, which leads to entanglement, which leads to death. And so as Christian men, we are called, and this is just, this is our prayer for all of us. That's my prayer for me, it's my prayer for my son and my daughter. It's my prayer for your family. That, that yes, we want to learn, yes, we want to grow, yes, we want to study, yes, we want to pray. But we want this vision to grow more and more and more inside of all of us. And it's this, that we are not called to be self-made men. Instead, we are called to be Christ-made men who will help make other men more like Him. And I'm using anthropos and anthropoi, the Greek word there, for generic humanity. Not specifically just men. I'm a men's minister, I got it. I've got three daughters, so trust me when I tell you, I mean all the people around you and in your life. On the back of your sheet, there's several questions there. Um, I apologize, we have 15 minutes for you all to talk through some of them. I really would say if you do any form of quiet time or journaling, these questions can be very helpful for you. If you currently feel isolated or you feel like you're plateaued spiritually, or worse yet, you know, Eric, I'm in bondage. Man, just please talk with me or, or, or talk to another man in here. God is the one who gives us new life, and God is the one that sets us free. But He gave us that call. He did. That we are to help reconcile other people to Him. Um, Father God, I thank You for these men. I thank You for them being here. God, that You're at work around us, that Your Word is true, that Your Spirit is alive and well, that Your adoption is complete. Your call is so clear. You've given spiritual gifts. You've preserved your word. Father, we lack nothing for godliness. We lack nothing for righteousness. We lack nothing to accomplish the good deeds that you have in mind for us individually and collectively. So sharpen these men, speak to them and through them. And God, for Dr. Fong, we just say, give him favor up in Connecticut. Use him up there. And we can't wait to hear him, not next week, but the week after that. Now, we love you, Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.